Hey everybody, what's up? Sagi here. And before you listen to this episode, I just wanted to let you know that the Hacking UI podcast, while we still have a lot of downloads for our podcast, is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are not recording any more sessions for the specific podcast. So what you can do right now is, first of all, listen to this episode, and second, know that you can find David on thoughtleaders.io, that's his new business, or you can check out my new podcast, which is called The Creativepreneur Show. And you can just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. So those are the two domains that you would be able to find my show, my new blog, my new community. And I hope uh, to see you there. Also, be sure to follow David Tintner and Sagi Schreiber on Instagram. We're both on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube. So you can check out the YouTube channel if you want to check out YouTube. Enough with my talking. Oh, my God. So anyways, I hope you guys, though, connect with me and David on the different platforms after this episode. All right. Make sure to do so because we have so much new content for you. And enjoy, guys. Enjoy this episode. The New York designer stared out of his office window at the bustling Manhattan streets below. He took a deep breath. There was so much going on, but good stuff. He has it all perfectly under control. This designer, as we see him, is a superhero. He lives in two worlds. One is really public-facing, and the other, his full-time job at one of the most important companies for designers in the world, is shrouded in a bit more secrecy. But in an extraordinary manner, this designer's two worlds coexist and support each other in harmony. Hello, hackers. Thanks a lot for joining us for another episode of the Hacking UI podcast, where we hack our way through design, development, and entrepreneurship. I'm Sagi Schreiber. And I'm David Tintner. Our guest today is none other than Koi Vin, principal designer at Adobe, former design director of the New York Times, founder of the popular blog Subtraction.com, and a true family man. In this interview, we dissected how he does it all and discussed some of the new stuff Koi and his team are cooking up. All right, Sagi, you ready? Let's get hacking! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Hacking UI Podcast and today we have Koi Veen. Koi, what's up? Hey, how are you? Hey, all good and so great to have you on the show, man. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah, thank you, Siri. Thank you, David. And we are big fans of your both design work and all of your writings, and we have so much to talk about. So, but before we even start, can you maybe just give us a bit of background? Because you have so much background. So how about you just give us a bit of background about yourself? Sure. So my name is Koi Vin. I work at Adobe right now, where I'm focusing on a number of things. One of them is Adobe XD. I also have a blog at subtraction.com that I've been writing for quite a long time, maybe too long to count now. In the past, I've worked at uh, the New York Times, where I ran the design group there for five years. I had a startup called Mixel that was acquired by Etsy, and I've worked at some other startups and launched a number of side projects. And going further back, I wrote two a, books. <laughs> I wrote a few books. Going further back, I was um, in the you know, studio slash agency business for a while and co-founded a design studio called Behavior. Um, so I've kind of been around the block, as they say. <laughs> All right, great. And now you also have um, another kind of product that you have, Kids Post? Yes, that's right. I've got a, a side project called Kid Post, which makes it really easy for parents to take the pictures that they post to social media and get those pictures out to folks who are not active on social media, mostly grandparents. So you just add a hashtag, KidPost looks for that hashtag and then bundles it up into a daily email that goes out to your friends and family. Really easy and free to try. That's amazing. <laughs> I think I want to try it. Yeah, give it a try. Yeah, especially when you have kids, you, see, you send so many, like, you know, you just you want to send your whole family photos and it's just hard <laughs> how about we we start from the new york times because i think that's that's something that like it always stands in your kind of uh in your background as something that you have glory years you were also named i think uh one of the best uh one of the top 50 uh influential designers back then right yes yeah um fast company made me one of the 50 most influential designers in america i believe Maybe about four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Congrats. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. That and a dollar 
buys me a cup of coffee. <laughs> and so back in the New York Times, what were your responsibilities and how many people did you manage? So I joined the Times in 2006. And that was at a point in the history of the company where they were really trying to double down on digital and be much more ambitious and aggressive about building out digital products. So I built a design team of about 15 to 20 product designers, and we worked with the editors on the various news desks to create interactive experiences on NewYorkTimes.com. We did the first Kindle apps, first Android and, and iPhone and iPad apps. Um, we were just thinking about ways that the Times could really grow beyond its digital roots and even beyond just having a website where we publish the, the news. So that was a really great experience for me because I, I got to see this company undergo an amazing transformation and play a role in, in helping to guide it and also work with some of the smartest people on earth, really. Yeah, and, and I think that um, I remember even I think back then towards 2010 or something like that where I, I don't remember if it was on subtraction.com or in New York Times itself they were talking about how they transformed the way they are doing design in the in the company like in, in general like their whole design methodology there or something yeah I mean that's really true from the digital perspective I mean for a long time the way the times approached digital products was an extension of the way they approach design in print, which is about art direction and about thinking first and foremost about the, the editorial perspective. And so our team tried to put an emphasis on the user experience and on you know creating lasting products or lasting experiences that would continually engage users. And um, but it's basically product design. It's, I think, very, very different from, from art direction. That must have been such a just crazy time to be there because that was such a turning point for kind of everything that's going on today in the world of journalism and online media in general. What were some of your biggest takeaways from your time there? I think my biggest takeaway from working at the Times is that creating content and monetizing it or building a business out of content or running a huge business on content is incredibly difficult and it's it faces so many challenges from so many fronts from the perspective of keeping the editorial talent engaged and, and helping them sort of bridge the traditional divide between journalists and an audience you know, embracing new technology trying to stay ahead or or even keep up with the, the massively sort of erratic behavioral patterns of people who, who are coming online and you know, jumping from platform to platform every few years. In general, in, in this era, you know, content is, is very difficult. And I, I really like take off my, my hat to anybody who builds a, like a great business around content, regardless of the size. And you would definitely have now experience also with subtraction, I guess, at two drastically different sizes, um, I would say, of content businesses, if you will. You know, I guess the New York Times being just a massive organization and subtraction being, um, is, it, is it just you or is there are there some other people working on the site as well? Uh, I've got a staff of about 150 people. I'm just joking. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would be really, really amazing if I had a staff of any size. It's, it's really just me and then some people who, who help me out on, you know, technically uh, every once in a while I'll call upon them to, to help me build something like on the back end to make the delivery simpler or, or incorporate some new technology or something like that. But for the most part, it's me every day and it's, it's not really even a business. I mean, it's, it's generated a lot of income for me over the years, but first and foremost, for me, it's, it's a place to write and to work out my ideas and to engage with the, the readers who come there and also kind of just like indulge my, my passions and, and blow off steam sometimes. Hmm. Cool. I, I mean, I really, I think we can definitely relate to that. Yeah. 
And I think that um, I, uh, just to give a bit of background for anyone who doesn't know subtraction, subtraction.com, I mean, you write there every, every once in a couple of days, uh, sometimes even day after day. You write there very often. Um, so it's, it's really, I mean, we really respect that, that you can uh, take the time, you know, with being, uh, you know, right now, you know, principal design at Adobe, um, which is such a demanding job. And also having the time to, you know, taking the time to write and to express your thoughts and uh, to contribute to the community. So that's something that uh, we really appreciate. And I mean, that's why we, we really want to pick your brain about this, because um, if you're looking back at your career up to now, do you have like the things that you, you can see clearly that as you know, writing has helped you as a designer? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, thanks so much for the kind words about the, the stuff I write there. It means a lot to get you know, sure. such uh, warm feedback. Yeah, looking over my career, the act of writing has definitely helped me in many ways. With the blog, it's helped with my visibility. It's helped me form friendships and, and relationships with all kinds of people I wouldn't have otherwise. It's created opportunities for me. It's, it's helped me as I transition from one stage to another in my career, like writing on the blog has actually helped me move from you know, doing services to doing media, to doing startups, to doing design tooling. All, all of these would have been much harder to pull off without the blog. Um, and just writing in general has served me really well as a designer, being able to articulate my ideas and, and defend them and be, be persuasive and help people that I work with, whether they're clients or people in other parts of the business, helping them you know, understand what I try to do, what designers working with me and design, designers in general try to do. I think writing has been invaluable. That's amazing. And do you have, would you say like, like that every designer that is now, let's say, even uh, newbies or even experienced designers should, should write? Is it something that is like crucial for designers these days? I really think it is. First, I think you should not worry about how about writing publicly or writing extremely well. What you should just worry about is that you are writing and that you're doing so regularly, and that you're you're continuing to challenge yourself with new ideas and also with refining your expression. I think all of that stuff is is really important and will, will serve you very well. And you know, as our industry evolves, and as you know, more and more people enter the workforce, and the competition for design jobs or, or design opportunities becomes greater and greater. You know, writing is a really, really substantial edge that you that you can hold over you know other people who are competing for the same job, or if you know you're in entrepreneurial competing for the same you know market opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the one thing that I always um, tend to think is that designers that are really investing time in uh, building the, their portfolios on Dribbble and, you know, Behance and stuff. But at the end of the day, um, people are looking for thoughts and opinions and, and to know that those, besides having talent, you need to also kind of like have, have your own opinions. And so you, you, um, you're, are you looking for people right now? Are you recruiting for Adobe right now? I don't have any openings on my team, but at Adobe, we're always looking to work with new designers. So um, we have a job board, and you know, I, w I would encourage people to go to our website and look for the job openings and see if there's anything that strikes our fancy and, uh, and reach out. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to ask you, when I was interviewing back in my previous role as design director at a startup called Similar Web, so I was looking for people who have like, you know, side projects or that writing um, that are writing out there and just like expressing their their thoughts and those kind of portfolios that displayed, you know, uh, case studies with, you know, that was the kind of thing that really got me more than just like beautiful, um, you know, a beautiful portfolio. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and right now, so you have a... I was just going to say, as, as a designer, anytime that you can help tell a story around what you do, especially if the story reveals the ideas at work in the portfolio pieces, that's a real opportunity to stand out from 
the rest of the pack. Yeah, totally. So people understand that writing is important. I think some, like some designers and some people that I talk to, but then there's the question of like, but where, when, when is, when can we have the time to write? I mean, we have our full-time, you know, day jobs, we have family, we have, you know, stuff we want to do. When can we write? That's a great question. I mean, I find that I spend a lot of time drafting these blog posts in my head, whether I'm, sitting on the train or I'm walking between meetings or I just have a few minutes of downtime here and there. But to get a blog post done or to, to write it any substantial length, you really need to carve out like an hour, I find, uh, or more to, to focus and to concentrate. That's, that's a bare minimum. So the reality is that I'll do it if I can't squeeze it in during the middle of my day, my lunch hour or something, which is very difficult given my schedule, then I'll do it early in the morning or I'll do it late at night. And that's not a, an easy answer, but if you're motivated to, to express your ideas and to get better and better at it, it's sometimes the only practical solution. It makes total sense. So I think it's something that I think a lot of us, like we want to hear an easy answer. Like there's a secret to this, you know, we want to hear you say like, oh, of course I do it every time with this. And all you have to do is follow that and then you'll be able to do it too. But what you said is kind of, it, it totally makes sense. And we, we hear that pattern a lot that you have to be motivated and you have to really believe that what you're doing is, is important and helpful to you and helpful to other people and, and just find the time, huh? Just make the time for it, even though it's not easy. Yeah, it's, it's not easy, but ideally, if you have a passion for it, it makes it a lot easier because you're motivated to, to want to do it. Did you always have a passion for, for blogging or how did that start for you? I've always had a passion for writing, and when I started blogging, it started to make, it really made a lot of sense to me because here's an opportunity to write really quickly and then to get it out there and get it read and get feedback on it right away. So posting my writing online is, like, I'm so happy I, I'm alive in a time when that was invented. At the same time, I'm really keenly aware that, like, blogging is a form of writing, but it's not really, like the best example of, of writing best practices. It's like, I can be very lazy in my blogging. I can, and that doesn't necessarily mean like writing, you know, quickly or, or writing briefly. It, it, sometimes I'll write long pieces that I know just aren't, they aren't properly researched or, or properly edited or just the, the thoughts aren't crystallized the way I would truly like them to be if I were able to invest a lot more time. So, so there are different kinds of blogging. I mean, not, I wouldn't say that, I mean, there are different kinds of, of writing, I should say. And I think it's true that just as long as you're doing some kind of writing, you'll benefit from it. So can you give us a comparison kind of, because you've also written books, which I assume, you know, are, are pretty much the opposite uh, extreme from blogging, from that kind of like uh, mm -hmm. getting it out there, maybe not doing the full research. Whereas in the book, I imagine it was, it was pretty much the opposite extreme. Can you give us a little bit of a comparison of what that process was like for you, uh, writing yeah. uh, a book? Yeah. Yeah. Writing books are... It, that's a very difficult process. I found it to be much, much more difficult and much less comfortable. I mean, you, when you're writing a book, you're really writing something that people are, one, going to spend money on, and two, are going to expect to remain relevant for years or, or, or many decades. And that's a, a much heavier lift than a blog post, which you know, the, the life expectancy of a blog post is a few days at most or, or, or months. Like, uh, you know, very few of my blog posts, you know, people will remember or, or refer back to beyond, you know, the, the day that it was posted. And so it's much more lightweight. It's, it's much more casual. In some ways, it's more conversational. So those are, those are just some, uh, I think, of, of the, the differences. I, I enjoy blogging much more than I enjoy writing books. That's awesome. And I want to follow up on that. But just before I do that, I want us to take a quick break and give a shout out to our sponsors for this episode. Hey guys, I want to tell you about our sponsor and events apart because they have some of the best conferences for both designers and front end developers. And if you haven't attended one yet, you're really missing out. The events are extremely professional and always cover the most cutting edge technology and latest developments. And they bring in the best speakers and biggest names in the industry every single time. I'm talking legends like Eric Meyer, Jeffrey Zeldman, Rachel Andrew, Brad Frost, Dan Mall. You get the picture. But it's not just about the talks. They do an incredible job of making the conference social and encouraging people to meet and network. If you've been to these kind of conferences before, you know that designers and developers aren't always 
let's say the most social crowd, but at an event apart, they take special care to make sure it's fun, inviting, and that there's never a boring moment. They host seven or so events per year in cities all across the U.S., so you can find the one that's most convenient for you. The tickets are also extremely affordable for a two- or three-day event like this, and we can make it even better. You'll get $100 off any event if you use the code AEA Hacking at checkout. Go to aneventapart.com slash H-U-I and use the code AEA Hacking. What would you say are the benefits of um, writing a book? I mean, you mentioned making money off it, but I imagine there's a, a ton of other benefits that come from um, having a published book, you know, with your byline on it. Yeah, I mean, having having a book is a a real legitimizing credential. Like people pay attention to you. They they see the book as something that you've invested lots of time and energy into and put out into the world as a representation of of yourself and it's got a beginning and an end and they can assess it and they can attribute its ideas to you and attribute a certain amount of credibility to you so it's really a whole other level from more casual writing i mean i wouldn't trade in my experience for of writing these books for anything but they they are difficult and my second book my first book was about grids and it was just basically basically kind of like a theory and a how-to book about design. My second book, How They Got There, is it's just a series of interviews with successful designers about their careers. And that theoretically a lot easier to write, but still required so much time and, and care and editing. Books were much more difficult than I expected them. And I just wanted to quickly mention to our, our listeners, you told us um, before we started that for how they got there, which I think is super relevant for everyone, especially who listened to the Scaling a Design Team series that we did, that you're going to offer a discount code for that, right? Yeah, that's right. So actually, the book is on sale right now. It's available in digital form. You can download it for Kindle or iBooks, or you can get a digital plus hardcover bundle. Um, and it's um, it's half off right now at howtheygotthere.com, all one word, how they got there. And then that sale ends December 11th. But for Hacking UI listeners, I'll, um, I'll put up a, a coupon on December 12th, which uh, will give you $15 off if you use the code HackingUI. Awesome. Thank you. We appreciate that. Thanks so much, man. I just wanted to ask about the book because how they got there is very interesting in terms of what you did there with, um, you know, interviewing so many successful people. And, um, you know, what we're doing also on this podcast is, you know, getting uh, people like you and that we appreciate and admire. Um, and also we want to learn from them. So I bet you learned a lot from uh, the process of writing this book and from the interviews. So can I just ask you quite like, what are your... I don't know, like two or three main insights from from uh, this book? Yeah, so the first book is a series of interviews about how these designers, some of whom I'd known previously, some of whom were friends, some of whom I, I knew very little, how they built their careers, how they got their first big breaks, their trials and tribulations when they knew that they were doing the right kind of work for them and how they eventually built lasting careers out of them. And for me, it was the kind of book that I really wanted to read because that's the part of every profile of a designer that interests me the most. It's just literally like how they got there, like how they managed to find themselves in that particular situation and how did they manage to build that body of work. So you know, one of the things that I learned is that there's really no straight path that everybody in the book, you know, started out thinking they wanted to do something else. And then through, you know, one twist of fate or another, ended up becoming a, a designer, a product designer, agency or designer, you know, working in the digital space. So that was something that I kind of knew when I went into it, but sort of seeing it repeated again and again was really fascinating for me and you know if I, I was just starting out my career right now I, I would find that to be very reassuring because I remember in my first decade having no idea how to get from point A to point B. Yeah I mean it certainly uh, connects also with what Steve Jobs back then uh, said in the commencement speech in uh, Stanford back um, don't remember what year it was but he said like you know connecting the dots like you make all kinds of decisions and at the end you know you get somewhere and you can connect the dots and see how they led you to where you're at yeah it's interesting and anything else that you adapted for your career maybe like any insights that you had from from those interviews stuff that you implemented 
in your day-to-day work? Yeah, I think one of the things that I heard from one of the subjects was how effective it can be just to think of these heroes of yours as real people and that they're reachable, whether by email or, or phone, and that you can, you can if you're you know, if you're polite and, and, and a bit persistent, you can get time with them and to, to learn a little bit some, of something about like how, you know, how they manage to accomplish the things that you're so in awe of. And I think I, I've always been maybe a, a little bit too reverent of the people that I look up to, but like hearing that story, like I've, I've really tried to put it into practice a lot and and think about people that I look up to as being more approachable than you would assume. Nice, nice. It's a, it's a very good takeaway. I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing that you you never know what you're gonna you know what you're gonna get until you ask for it. And you know, if you wanna if you wanna reach out to someone, and uh, even if he's like a thought leader in the industry that you're working in, uh, you know, just reach out because you're probably one of the, you know, 3% out of the 97% who hasn't reached out. <laughs> I mean, we tend to think that, you know, you know, the people out there get so much other people like asking them and reaching out to them. And it's not that true. I mean, uh, everybody's afraid just like you are. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a great takeaway. So I, I want to go back and I'm sorry, we're going back and forth. But I, I want to go back to the writing for a second and subtraction.com. And after that, we can go move on and talk a bit about uh, your work at Adobe. You said you write in the early morning or at the nighttime in order to, you know, get your, you know, block your one hour chunk uh, to to be concentrated and get, your, you know, your posts out. Um, do you have any other times in the week or do you have any other tips for anyone right now uh, asking themselves, where can I find the time and how? Mm, that's great. A great question. I mean, if I had a secret method of extracting <laughs> an extra... 10 hours out of the week, I would, I probably would have written a book about that right now and, and gotten really rich. <laughs> <laughs> but I think maybe the, the best answer I can come up with isn't, doesn't necessarily relate to writing, but it just relates to being organized in general. I think I tend to be very organized and try to really maximize my time. Um, and you can, You know, there's there's an endless number of books that will help you do this from, you know, like getting things done or um, the Pomodoro method or whatever. Like you, you can look at all these systems to help you do it. It doesn't really matter which one that you choose, but uh, adopting a, some sort of framework to maximize your time, I think, is really essential. I use an app called Todoist, which I'm a huge, a huge fan of. I've been using it for a long, long time. And... Virtually everything that I want to do during the day, I will put it immediately into Todoist. And I then turn to Todoist on my phone, on my, on my iPad, on my desktop, and I count the times a day, just looking at what's there and, and checking things off. And that helps me get a, a lot of stuff done, including the writing. Like I'll often say, okay, today I'm going to write about this, and I'll create a task to do that, as well as like, all my other side projects, as well as like my, my work in Adobe. So... I find that to be invaluable at, for creating more pockets of time during the day. Cool. Corey, I want to ask you, so like uh, we see you're kind of, you, it's almost like you have, uh, let's say like double lives, like double in the career, if you will. <laughs> like you're working on your side projects and, and you're writing and, you know, publishing books and you're also, you know, working throughout your entire career, pretty very high profile jobs in New York Times and now at Adobe. So I want to ask, do you think that, you could have got into these like uh, high profile positions without the side projects and without the writing, it, you know, just being like a great designer, a great manager, is that enough? Or is it something that you had to have in order to, to get to where you are today? Well, I mean, I've, I've seen plenty of people do really well without having a public blog and without having tons of side projects. For me, I think having these extracurricular pursuits was really essential to, you know, creating the, the opportunities and, and, the, and the career path that I have. So I don't know if there's a, a universal answer there, but I, I would say yes with the caveat that I don't think the same set of rules applies to everybody. Mm -hmm. yeah. So can you tell us more about your role at Adobe today? And, you know, we touched on the beginning exactly what you're working on and what it looks like today. Yeah. So at Adobe, it's, I think, a, a 
really, really interesting time right now. There are a lot of new initiatives. There's a, a lot of new thinking uh, about how we can help creatives, we can help designers, photographers, motion designers, how we can help this, this whole industry solve their problems um, and, and get their work done better and create you know, more interesting, more satisfying, more successful you know, expressions of their, their ideas. So I think that the, the first really concrete example of that is our new app, uh, Adobe XD which is out now in beta on, on Mac and on Windows. And it's our end-to-end um, UX UI design tool. And when I say end-to-end, I mean you can, you can design a website or an app, all of the screens inside the XD, and it's incredibly performant and smooth and really, really a pleasure to work with. And then without, without having to leave the app, you can also wire it up and, and turn it into an interactive prototype and then publish it out to the web for you know your your coworkers and clients and, and other stakeholders to interact with right away. So it's different from what's come before in that it's a brand new code base. It's it was written from scratch. It's and you can really feel it when you use the app because it feels you know buttery smooth and lightning fast. And it also there's lots of new ideas behind it, new ways of helping designers you know, solve the problems that they encounter every day. And we have a, a, a wonderful feature called Repeat Grid, where it allows you to just almost effortlessly create like like a whole table view or a whole view of you know, like a photo gallery or something like that, which is one of the things that, that product designers do a lot every single day. Uh, and you know we're thinking about this in a in a truly cross-platform, cross you know, multi-device way. You know, right now you can use it on uh, Mac and Windows, as I said. But we're thinking about phone, we're thinking about tablet, we're thinking about the web, and we're thinking about leveraging the power of the cloud so that you'll be able to access what you do in XD from any of these devices. So you can create wherever you are or whatever kind of device that you have. It's um, it's pretty ex- exciting, and I think it's the start of something, something really great at Adobe that really builds upon our legacy. And and you guys were working on this for a long time. I mean, before it was XD, it was Project Comet, right? Mm-hmm. So how long was this in the works? So I've been working on on this for just the past six months or so, and the team has been working on on it much longer. And I, I don't remember the exact timeline, but I would say two years or so. I mean, it's been a, a massive undertaking to build this major new system that's out of the box, is really performant and easy to use, but also provides a foundation for lots of new innovation coming down the pike. And we have a we have features in the roadmap that I, I can't talk about, but that are really going to blow your socks off. And we've really we're really taking the the time to to build things in the right way so that we can add those later and also add things that we haven't yet thought about or anticipated. Awesome. I mean, I'm in the designer. I'm waiting for that. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to see what, um, what you come up with because I think, I don't know, it's, it's very interesting to me to see, to see Adobe evolve like that and now, you know, take care of, uh, of the UI designer's needs, <laughs> uh, which is something that, you know, for a long while it was just, kind of, you know, lacking in a way, uh, it was just not the main focus. Um, so now that it is in focus and, you know, uh, cool things mm-hmm. like Adobe XD are coming out and new features are being built. So it's kind of like exciting times to see to see where it's going. And, uh, you know, with all the, you know, there is competition out there. So the competition makes it even more exciting. Yeah, there's lots of, there's lots of great competition that has, has really energized us and motivated us to, you know, bring our best, you know, like our best game. And what you said about you know, the sort of lack of focus on the product designer, UX UI designer in, in the past, I think you know, I think that's criticism that like you know, Adobe has heard and, and listened to very carefully all up and down the ladder. Um, but I, I also think it's really important to note that the, the company 
in moving to the cloud several years ago, that, that was really the first step in making this possible and, and, and making all the change that, that you'll start to see within the next few years possible. Because you know, in the past, we were aligned around our our big franchises like Photoshop and Illustrator. And so, you know, to solve a problem, you know, we, we wanted to solve it through those apps to add capabilities to those apps to to address every new use case that might arise in the market. Um, otherwise, we would be building um, apps that would compete with, you know, our, our, you know, cash cows, so to speak. But now that we've moved to the cloud and Creative Cloud is a subscription, like we're motivated not just to continue improving Photoshop and Illustrator, but also continuing to, to build new apps and experiences that can really be, be very responsive to the market to really to, to really embrace the change in the market so that people remain committed to the creative cloud subscription and not and not necessarily you know, you know getting people to to buy the next upgrade of Photoshop or Illustrator so that that realignment of you know the business and, and the way we think about delivering value to our customers is really really key and I think sets the stage for us to do some pretty interesting stuff that's really interesting to hear yeah i never um I, I never thought about the business kind of uh repurposing the goals like that and what that would mean for the end uh end user that's really interesting to hear and i think that's exciting for our for our listeners to hear too that of what might be to come now that i guess the business goals are, are sort of realigned yeah and that's part of the reason i came here is because when i saw adobe move to creative cloud at first i, I was resistant because i thought well i already own photoshop why do i need to rent it but then I came to understand that this is this was aligning around like my own interest because you you can start and start stop a subscription whenever you want and you, you're basically on a monthly basis saying yes Adobe I, I like what you're doing and if I if you don't like it then you stop your subscription so Adobe is now you know motivated to to make the subscription continually valuable to you just so long as the the things that we do adding value to that subscription it doesn't matter if they're in our flagship apps or our new apps or on mobile or whatever it's just we we are responding to the way that customers want to work makes total sense and sounds like it always playing it smart so i guess we can't talk about new features but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, we have a new button that will do your your entire design for you with just a single click <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're both like, oh man, tell us, tell us, tell us. And, and coffee. <laughs> yeah, and make coffee. Yeah, <laughs> premium subscribers only. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm interested to hear more about um, specifically your what the setup is, um, kind of as far as the the teams that that are working on it and who you're leading, who you're working with. Can you tell us a little bit about the the team structure you have, um, especially like the team that's working on Adobe XD? Yeah, so there's a, a, there are a number of product managers who own various aspects of the app experience, whether it's the tooling part or the collaboration or the prototyping part. There's there's one design team that's focused on the tooling and the overall XD experience. I run a team that works with that design team on the collaboration stuff, like how, how do people work together in XD? I mean, how, how, how can we make it easy for you to hand off work to other designers and to developers and share work with clients? And at the same time, um, I'm also thinking about addressing those challenges for a bunch of new apps that we have that are younger still than XD or earlier still than XD in their development stage. Um, one of them we announced at our annual Max conference a few weeks ago. It's called Project Felix, which is a whole new take on creating 3D renderings that's much more squarely focused on how would a designer want to be able to use 3D rather than how would a 3D artist want to use 3D software. So, so this is really interesting new approach where we're trying to make 3D understandable to people who you know design packages or design posters even or or even people who just want to visualize their 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 products using all the powers of 3D technology so 
So there's a number of new things coming down the pike that are, I think, similarly sort of disruptive like that. Wow, it's amazing new technology. It's really exciting stuff. Yeah. So when you have, um, what I'm curious is, if I'm working in Adobe, if I'm a designer there, and let's say I'm like on the XD team and, you know, Project Felix is coming out or something like this, are designers able to kind of like, I guess, work on the side projects or test out this new stuff? Or how do people within Adobe get to work on uh, the new features and new products you're building? Yeah, I mean, I know a number of people at Adobe have side projects, but Adobe is pretty good about having lots of interesting stuff going on at any given time and circulating those ideas amongst the staff. And it's it's not difficult at all to get introductions to other teams who are doing cool stuff and finding opportunities to join them if, if they're doing something that sparks your passion. So I think Adobe is particularly a great place for designers because there's so much here that is directly relevant to the, the things that designers are interested in. It's, um, it's a little bit like being a kid in a candy store. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. <laughs> it's a, you're working on a cool feature that, you know, that you're going to use for your own work. So, But very cool culture, too, that also I think, you know, like uh, one of the things that I, I find so cool is that you're, as a principal designer in Adobe, you have, like, you have your own side projects and that you said Adobe allows other people to do them. And I think that something Sagi and I are super interested in is just kind of how side projects can be beneficial within um, your job in order to kind of make you better at your job. And as I'm just hearing all these new projects and new features that Adobe's working on, I'm thinking, man, this would be so cool to build, you know, to do something in 3D with Project Felix or to do something, you know, as I'm sure people were saying the same thing before XD was was out publicly. So it's, I think, something that you have very cool that's built into your culture like that. Yeah, I think Adobe is it's a really terrific culture. I mean, it's, I, I think it's my favorite place that I've worked in my career just because there are so many like-minded people and there are so many people who who bring a really rich depth of knowledge in things that I know nothing about. And yet, at the end of the day, it's all about making life better for for creative people everywhere. Awesome. We are coming uh, near to the end. Um, and all right, I, I have something that I'm curious about and I would like to kind of like uh, end this with a few kind of like quick questions. Okay, about your uh, going back to the to the writing because again, I mean, you, working at Adobe is, is amazing. All your, you know, high profile jobs are really amazing. Um, but again, like, you know, the, the, the writing is just kind of like a mystery. How, how can you do it? So, so good. And that's something that we really want to learn from you. So I have, I have a question about, uh, first of all, do you automate anything in your process? Do I automate? It? I mean, I, I, I don't use like automator or workflow or anything like that, though. I've tried to set that up, that kind of thing up in the past. Just haven't gotten very far. I do use uh, text expander extensively though i use text expander quite a lot um, and i guess that's, that's a very very oh wow how did you use it very simple kind of automation yeah i think sagi is uh, the biggest uh, proponent of text expander yeah. there ever was yeah text expander is awesome i use it i mean i've got tons of snippets in there i've got i've got like some certain emails i you know i basically write the same email over and over again and i have like the whole body of an email in a, a snippet so that you know when i get a response i can when i hit reply i can just hit a certain keystroke and essentially dump in that that form letter and then quickly edit it and send it off i have various like um like forms of of writing out dates that are relevant to certain you know certain contexts like saving assets for a blog post has certain date format so i, I would use that so yeah i i'm a, I'm a big fan um, it's also one of those little things that helps me carve out just a little bit more time each day. Yeah, totally. Another thing is, so you, you said, like, in terms of social media, you have 347,000 followers on Twitter. And that's, that's a lot. I mean, how, how, did, how did you get there? And what tips can you give for anyone trying to grow their Twitter following? Yeah, very lucky to have that following. I mean, to be honest, the secret was that for a long time I was on the recommended list of people to follow when you join Twitter, and you get an enormous boost from that. So, yeah. So, I guess my advice would be if if you can get Twitter to like you, that's that's a huge help. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
But that's that's really interesting to hear. Did you did you know that right away, or did someone? It took like some time, and then one day somebody told you. By the way, I signed up for Twitter, Twitter, and I saw that uh, you were. <laughs> I mean, I saw my numbers growing, and I didn't really understand why. And, and and this is, I mean, I joined Twitter fairly early. I think I was like, I think my user number is like ninety thousand or something, or some. I, I can't remember exactly, but mm. at the time, I just sort of assumed everybody's Twitter followings were growing like that. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's yeah. really funny. Yeah, and on the subject of social media, something else I wanted to ask you, and, and also personal brand, is I noticed you share a lot of uh, pictures. Of, you you send like your audience to your Instagram, and you share a lot of pictures of your kids, and also like in your um in the picture that you have on uh, your email, your newsletter email, it also has a picture with your kids. So I was wondering, is this something that you think about when you're growing like your personal brand, talking about your family and your kids, and kind of you know not just the professional you, but putting your kids out there as well. Strategically, I mean, sometimes it just might be a picture that I like. In general, I try to be as human as I can about my public profile and get people to you know, understand the full context of who I am. I don't post everything that you know that my kids do. I mean, that would be even more boring than what I post already. So it's just you know, once in a while, if it seems mm-hmm. to make sense in the moment, then I'll do it. Yeah. Nice. I mean, I, I could really relate. I mean, I, I actually get some uh, mm-hmm. some uh, backlash from my parents sometimes. <laughs> about like, uh, oh, really? you know, you're like publishing pictures of your of your kids online and on Facebook and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, why why not? Everybody's doing it. I mean, uh, I want I want my friends to see how my you know how my children are uh, are doing sometimes. Um, and and also, you know, yeah, like you're saying, it's like it's being human. I mean, that's that's you. Uh, that's Koi, and you want your audience to also be kind of people like you, I guess, and that, you know, want to relate to you because you just want people to follow you to kind of like be people that you would like to meet sometime even, so. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have like an overarching like public relations strategy for my kids or anything. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it, I think like uh, you know not so much about your kids, but I think it's it's a it's just something it's a pattern that we hear from a lot of influencers and stuff that they they're just being human online and they're kind of just being genuine and being authentic, and it's not really something you can fake so much. Yeah. You it's and I guess uh, like you said, you know, you you kind of brush it off a little casually, like I didn't think about it so much, but I imagine that it is just you being authentic and people are drawn to that, and I, I imagine that that is a lot of what uh, people love about your writing. Well, one thing that I've learned is making a career, earning a living, you know, you know, working for a company or working with clients, or whatever, there's always reasons that you um, should be careful about what you say. And it's, it's wise to be thoughtful about what you put out there. But people do respond very well when you're honest and you're human and you're forthcoming. And so, you know, within the you know the limits of you know somebody who works for a publicly traded company and somebody who has you know had lots of various complicating business you know, entanglements in the past. Like I still always try to be as as forthcoming as I can and honest because um, I think that makes the whole experience more worthwhile for me because people respond better. Awesome. Yeah, I think I, I think that's a. Uh really important takeaway yeah. for our listeners here. And I think we're at just about an hour now. I think uh, we will wrap it up on uh, that, but that is really just a super important takeaway that I think everyone can can get. So Koi, really, thank you so much for your time. I mean, you have, you were so inspired by everything you do, kind of living in like yeah. these. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I mean, congrats to you guys for everything that you're with Hacking UI and all the success you've had so far. And Hope you have lots more. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. Thanks a lot. All right. So um, everybody, just remember, we will share also um, Koi's book in the show notes, and you will have a special coupon code after the, the sale ends on December 11th and December 12th uh, with the code Hacking UI. You will be able to get it for $15 off. It's howthegotthere.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Koi. Thanks, folks. Bye. This week's episode is brought to you by WooCommerce. 
WooCommerce is the most popular e-commerce platform in the world, powering more than 30% of all online stores. It's completely free to set up and has no monthly fees. All basic functionality is free, and it's certainly more than enough to get you started. As you grow or need customizations, you can buy extensions and plugins, and the community is huge. It's built on WordPress, so getting started is as simple as can be. And what I love most about WooCommerce is that it's open source and fully customizable. You can make your store as unique as you'd like, with virtually no limitations. WooCommerce is also perfect for side projects and is one of the tools that we're recommending now to students in the Side Project Accelerator. When I start a project at the beginning, I don't want to waste time. I just want to get something out there quickly. And then as it grows, I can customize and scale it. WooCommerce is perfect because it fits for every stage of the project, and I don't have to waste time changing to another platform later. It's also nice that it integrates with all the major payment gateways, Stripe, PayPal, Amazon, and tons of smaller regional services, and you own your data forever. If you ever decide to leave, there's no risk of losing data or not being able to transfer over your sales information. If you have an online store or are thinking about starting one, check out WooCommerce. Like I said, it's completely free to get started and easy to set up. You have nothing to lose. And if you'd like to purchase any extensions, themes, or plugins for your store, enter the code HackingUI at checkout. You'll get 30% off all your purchases. Again, you don't need to buy anything to get started. It's completely free. But if you want to customize or need some advanced functionality, you have a ton of extensions and plugins to choose from. You'll get 30% off everything with the code HackingUI at checkout. Hey everybody, what's up? So if you enjoyed this episode, I'm very happy and you're welcome to listen to the rest of the episodes of the Hacking UI podcast. I just want to let you know that this is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are no longer creating new episodes for this specific podcast. David and I are working on different businesses now. So just wanted to let you know that first of all, if you want to catch David, you can check out Thought Leaders and that's what he's working on, thoughtleaders.io. And if you want to check out what I'm working on, I have a new podcast. It's called Creativepreneur, the Creativepreneur Show with Sagi Schreiber. And you would be able to find that on iTunes and any podcast app. And I would invite you to come and listen. And that's where I interview people that have built a lifestyle business out of their skills and passions. It's amazing. I interview so many different people that have amazing stories and will help you with your business, will help you with your skills, taking your skills to the next level and achieving higher goals. So if you're interested in that, I'm there, The Creativepreneur Show, and you can check it out also on YouTube. And you can also just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. I hope to see you around.